Texas Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Texas. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. And by Independent Financial, banking for business, banking for life. In this episode, Houston Business Journal Managing Editor Jonathan Adams welcomes Carrie Colbert, founding and general partner of Curate Capital. Tell me a little bit about Curate Capital. Yes, Curate Capital is a venture capital fund that invests in female-founded consumer brands. We are as cliche as it sounds, by women for women. And I say that because that really is a differentiator for us in that not only do we invest in women, but most of our investor base is women. In fact, about 80% of our investors are women. So we've really created this great community of women supporting women in very real and tangible ways. So it's been a fun journey. Started it about three years ago after a completely different career and a different industry and everything. And so it's been a fun pivot really a privilege and honor to work with some amazing women all around the ecosystem from the founders and CEOs we invest in to our investors who are you know brilliant women themselves uh, it, it's really a joy to be a part of this why did you want to start curate capital well, without boring you with my personal um, background too much, uh, uh, by way of a, a little bit of context, um, my previous career was in the oil and gas industry, um, and it was a very um, practical and pragmatic reasons that got me into that. I was the first in my family to go to college and top of my class, and so my high school counselor said, you should study engineering, and so that's what I did, studied petroleum engineering, graduated at the top of my class at UT, and that, of course, led me to Houston. What was a real turning point for me was that the vast majority of that almost 20-year career was spent at a privately held company, Hillcorp Energy, um, which was run very entrepreneurially. And so working for the founder there, I was able to really catch that entrepreneurial bug. And part of that entrepreneurial culture that he instilled in all of us was that we had a stake of equity and ownership. And I was there during a time of a lot of growth. And so that was very transformative for me personally, and eventually gave me the freedom to step away and kind of figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And quite frankly, I didn't have any master plan or any um, big goal of starting a venture capital fund. But I, I happened to be on social media in the early days um, and kind of became um, an influencer by by accident, uh, if you will. But I mentioned that because that was actually very fortuitous because that's how I started connecting with brands, whether it was just, you know, I followed them or they followed me or I was doing an influencer deal with them and very kind of organically and naturally um, started you know, realizing the investment opportunity. So first, I spent about five years investing all of my money into these sorts of businesses. And really, three important things happened. One, I was having great fun, which I would not have said about my career previously. It was a great career, but fun was not the first word to come to mind. Uh, two, I was having great results. I was seeing the the growth of these companies and the investments uh, paying off. But then three, and, and most importantly, I, I saw the great opportunity set. And the stats are clear. Women are underfunded. So even last year, women only received 1.9% of venture capital dollars. But yet the stats are also clear that women are overperforming. There are all sorts of studies that say for every dollar invested, you know, female-founded teams deliver more returns than all male teams. And so then add to that that I had really some inside um 
track an inside track, if you will, through relevant relationships in the space with a lot of founders and CEOs and word of mouth and you know social media and all that, I was getting a lot of good looks at, at good deals. And so that's why um, after about five years of angel investing in the space, I decided to start Curate Capital. And I, I jokingly say I, start, I decided that very naively. Um, I had the, the deal flow, which is great, but gosh, I knew nothing about fundraising and fund administration. So it has been a um, steep learning curve for sure, um, but things are going well um, in, in um, so far as the, the fund's performance. So we launched our first fund. Um, actually, I had the idea for Curate Capital at the very end of 2019. We were set to launch at the beginning of 2020, but then, of course, the pandemic kind of set us back. So we really only launched in earnest in 2021. We were targeting $10 million for our first fund, but we ultimately closed at $15 million, about 50% over um, our target. But we had been investing all along the way as we were fundraising, you know, trying to prove our concept. And so the fact of the matter is we um, will be fully deployed probably later this year. Um, we've made 15 investments so far, um, mostly into consumer brands. Um, and we'll probably be launching our second fund later this year or the beginning of 2024. What were some of the challenges in getting started? You, you kind of mentioned a little bit that it was like a learning curve for you. So yes, how did you overcome yes. those challenges? Well, you know, fundraising was the biggest challenge. Um, I'll tell you, I had never been in a sales position. Uh, my undergrad's in engineering and I had my MBA, MBA. And so I had just always kind of been an achiever and performer and, and kind of of the mindset that my work would speak for itself. But when you're in a fundraising role, especially as a first-time fund manager, um, it's quite different, right? You don't really have your work product to show yet. Um, even though I had been an angel investor, I had not run a fund. So people were taking a chance on me and this you know, grandiose idea I had. Uh, so fundraising, I think I had a lot to learn about. And I think one of the key takeaways there for me was that you know there's no one set way to do fundraising. I think early on, I went out to a lot of... Um, gosh, traditional investors, traditional looking investors. I thought my investors would be people from my oil and gas network. And, and certainly some of them did invest, but really the turning point for me in the fundraising process after being told no uh, so much was that women started to get the message. As I talked about what we were doing on social media, just very organically and naturally, I wasn't trying to solicit investors, but as I just spoke about the mission of Curate Capital and the sorts of companies we were investing in, I found that that really resonated with women. And so many of them said, hey, I want to be a part of this. Do I qualify? What does this mean? Uh, how do I get involved? And so out of that, we really developed a secondary mission of breaking down barriers to understanding investing, particularly in the venture capital space. And what I found is that as we spread the, the knowledge, women were like, oh, okay, I get it. I didn't understand this before, but now I understand and I qualify, like sign me up. I want to be a part of this. So, you know, it goes back to that old adage that knowledge is power. And if we can just kind of break down the barriers to understanding investing, venture capital, or really anything for that matter, then people can make a better informed decision. It may be a good fit, it may not, but then at least they understand the game that's being played and whether or not they want to play the game, they can make that decision then. So why would you say it was important for you to target women specifically? You know, I think, well, from an investing standpoint, we laid that out, underfunded, over-delivering, but I think 
you know, as we we started to see success on the fundraising side with women, I really realized that, you know, women know what other women want. And that's kind of our thesis, right? We're investing primarily in consumer brands. And the thinking there is that women control over 85 of house, 85% of household spending. And so when you think about, you know, women are making purchases, not just for themselves, but their families, their children. And we believe that women are developing a lot of those products and services and so on and so forth that households are going to use. So, you know, that's really, I think, um, was the turning point for us is like, oh, okay, women understand what other women want. And so they want to support that with their their dollars in terms of both investing, but it's also really dynamic because as we make investments, our investors are able to tangibly influence their investment in a real way by buying the products, by supporting the companies, by spreading the word. And I should mention another uh, uh, distinguishing factor for us that helped us oversubscribe our first fund was that we had a bunch of influencers invest. And so that's really something that I think is is a, a going to be a trend in the influencer economy is influencers are looking for so much more than just getting paid their sponsored post fees or pay, getting paid their affiliate money. Influencers are seeing the power of their skills to help these brands grow. And so now they're looking for equity opportunities. And one easy way for them to do that is to invest in a fund like ours. And so we partnered in particular with one agency that's based here in Houston called Trend. And, you know, the scenario that they were dealing with was exactly that, where their influencers are making incredible money now, but they're looking at how can I grow my financial future by getting these equity opportunities? And, you know, Investing can be difficult um, in terms of evaluating deals. You've got to do the due diligence and all that sort of stuff. So the influencers may not want to do that or feel equipped to do that themselves. So by investing in a fund, they can trust that we're doing the due diligence and all that you know hard, tedious work behind the scenes to vet the investments. And then they can use their skill set to grow the brands that they really like. That's incredibly interesting. How much business would you say you get from influencers? So influencers accounted for about almost a third of the capital we raised with Fund One. So it was close to $4 million that influencers brought in personally. So on average, the influencers were investing north of $250,000 each into Curate Capital. So I think it was uh, really fascinating for me as I spoke to you know so many influencers and we're having even more interest for our second fund from that community. And here's the deal. Even if they're not investors themselves uh, or, you know, financial gurus or whatever, they have touch points in their world that they've seen and experienced that have led them to realize the value of this. For instance, without fail, every influencer I talked to said um, that they had worked with a skincare brand, Tula. Now, you may not be familiar with this, but Tula kind of came out of nowhere in about oh, call it 2016 or 17, and they really leaned into influencer marketing. And so these women got paid their $10,000 or whatever the going rate was for their sponsored posts. And they, they certainly earned their affiliate commissions as they sold products for this brand. But eventually, Tula sold about a year ago to Procter & Gamble. While the details are undisclosed, uh, 
you know, rumor puts it north of a couple hundred million dollars. And so that was one perfect example over how, uh, about how over a five-year period, this brand had gone from nothing to over $200 million in value. And these influencers were left going, man, how great would it have been to have a piece of ownership of that? And so that's exactly what we provide, the opportunity to have these vetted opportunities to invest and then use your influence to help grow those brands. So, you know, the, the rule of influence, or sorry, investing where they say, invest in what you know. So not only are we investing in brands that they know and companies that they can understand, but I can't think of another investment opportunity where they can then turn around and use their skill set to help grow their investment. So it's a pretty pretty cool uh, scenario that we've created that we're really excited about. And that was really born out of my time as an influencer. And as I started angel investing, I saw companies were excited to have me on board and I'm not even that big of a deal, right? So as we, we got this at scale with multiple influencers, with millions of followers, we really started to see the power of that compound. You've already kind of touched on um, funding inequity. I was curious as to how that impacted you trying to get career capital started and if it did at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at at Hill Corp Energy, where I spent uh, a dozen plus years, that was very transformative for me. And so the light bulb really went off in my head about, hey, this is is life-changing when you can go from exchanging your time for money, you know, whether we're salaried or or hourly, and most of us are exchanging our time for money. But when you can, you know, sacrifice in the short term and invest for the long term, you really get that exponential growth in your financial future, right? And so that was life-changing for me. So, you know, as I talk to these influencers or other women about investing, I certainly share my personal story um, because it can be um, daunting at first to write a, you know, $10,000 check or even a $100,000 check and, and think you're just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. So, you know, certainly we have a track record now, but I also have my own personal story about, you know, how that really um, changed my life. I came from a small town in the Texas Panhandle and um, certainly not from any um, affluent means, but really having the power to um, not only be given equity, but at the company where I was, we were able to invest our own money back. So as I would receive my salary, there were some months I was basically investing it all back into the company because I believed in the mission uh, of what the company was doing. And, and I believed in the leadership. I believed in in the you know value proposition. And so I certainly lived that myself. Um, and, and it's so cool to see other women doing that. Our investor base is not only 80% women, um, but about two thirds of our investors are first time venture capital investors. So it's very important to me as we build Curate to um, have an open book management policy. You know, we're very transparent. Uh, I probably over communicate with our investors because I want them to feel a part of it, a part of Curate, a part of our portfolio companies, and to understand that this is all real, very real and tangible. It's not something down the road in eight or 10 years. We're creating value day to day. Next, more with Curate Capital founding and general partner, Carrie Colbert, when Texas Business Minds continues. At Texas Mutual, we know the importance of protecting your employees on the road. We create driving safety programs to help keep your people and your bottom line safe. Together, we can reduce driving accidents and drive Texas business forward. Business is safer, stronger, better with Texas Mutual. At Independent Financial, we know you work hard for your business. That's why we work hard for you. Ready to get down to business? Let's talk at ifinancial.com slash business. Independent Financial. Banking for business. Banking for life. 
How has the general venture downturn from the end of last year into the first quarter of this year affected investors? Well, I think you're right. I mean, we are facing some macroeconomic headwinds, but two comments I'll make on that. From an investment perspective, I think our portfolio companies are weathering it quite well. And again, I credit this to my background of working at Hillcorp Energy and not coming from a a traditional VC background, because I got to say, I've always been very rooted in the fundamentals of a business. I've paid way more attention to those underlying metrics that make a great business versus getting carried away in these, you know, really inflated valuations and all the um, FOMO that goes around in, in VC circles about, oh, you don't want to miss out on this hot deal. I mean, that's not really us. I've really looked at businesses that are um, A, either profitable or B, well on the road to profitability. And so um, certainly there are, are, are hard uh, challenges out there right now, but I got to say that our portfolio companies are, are weathering it fairly well. And on the flip side, as we begin to think of fundraising, you know, I'm hearing lots of um, stories about how hard it is to fundraise now. And I certainly think that's true, especially if you're pulling from the traditional pool of venture investors, right? They're very um, uh, ingrained in the Silicon Valley, you know, way of thinking. And a lot of them are sitting on the sidelines right now while they, you know, kind of wait to see how things play out. However, again, as an outsider, I think we've challenged a lot of the status quo and including where we draw our investors from. Our investor base did not come from the East Coast or the West Coast. In fact, about, gosh, 95% came from middle America, from Texas, from Tennessee, from Indiana. You know, really all of our investors uh, essentially are not from either coast. We may have one or two from the coast, but that was just through personal connection. We made no concentrated fundraising efforts on the coast. Um, In fact, I think over 80% of our investor base is from Texas. So, you know, really, I think, you know, if you um, espouse the conventional wisdom, you can hear a lot of doom and gloom right now. However, when you're pulling from these kind of non-traditional investor demographics, I think there's still a lot of people sitting on a lot of excess cash and wondering where to put it right now. And if we can demonstrate a really strong value proposition for them, I think we're really set up nicely for fun too. How do you decide where to invest the money? Yes. Well, you know, that is really interesting. And really one thing, as I mentioned, that prompted me to start Curate is the really strong deal flow that we had and continue to have. On any given month, we're having anywhere from 100 to 200 incoming deals uh, to our inbox every month. So, our, our reputation is growing and improving and, and really, you know, vibrant in the female founder community. And so that allows us to really funnel uh, the deals through a lot of, of, of filters, right? So we're able to really high grade to what I consider to be, you know, some of the best investment opportunities in the country. Now, a lot of things have to line up stage-wise, check size, you know, revenue, all these things to make it work. But, you know, we work really hard on the due diligence side to make sure that, you know, everything is set up you know, behind the scenes well, you know, and that there's no, you know, kind of gotchas uh, peeking behind uh, the curtain, so to speak. So we we really do our research. And then part of that is just also gut feel, you know, and that served us well um, to date. So I, I think it's really having the quantity and quality of deal flow and then being able to winnow that down to the best of the best. And then as our founders have, you know, great experiences with us, 
they're referring a lot of their founder friends and and you know such to us. So it really is a a symbiotic relationship there where you know we're getting great looks and companies are so excited to work with us and have all these women invested and have all these influencers involved that really we're getting preferential terms to to the kind of going market terms. So that's another great um, advantage that we have. The other thing I was kind of curious about is uh, like what's what's kind of keeping you up at night lately. Well, I got to say uh, fundraising, right? So the prospect yeah. of starting fun too. Um, fundraising about did me in the first time, but you know, hopefully we um, are, are better poised the second time. Um, certainly a, being a first time fund manager um, has its own challenges, right? You don't really have a, a track record to point to, even though I'd been an angel investor in the space, people kind of discount that that's different than managing other people's money. So it should be more smooth this time. Um, and we certainly um, are already getting a lot of inbound interest, but I want to really set ourselves up for success there. So we're spending a lot of time strategizing around what the fund size should be. And it'll certainly be bigger, but I don't want to go hugely bigger because then that kind of changes your strategy around investments, right? Then you have to tweak your thesis in terms of check size and stage and all that. And we really feel good about our thesis right now. So we want to stay true to that as we move forward. So yeah, we'll be spending the summer kind of finalizing some details about that. And then we'll probably start soft circling commitments uh, later this year. And so what advice do you have for women looking to raise funding for their businesses? I think one of the key lessons that I learned was to really figure out who your people are. Don't feel like you have to conform by going to the same institutional investors or the same Silicon Valley or East Coast, West Coast, or all the different, you know, kind of known quantities, but really lean into, you know, who are your super users or your, you know, really loyal customers or, you know, who has been a longtime supporter. And there are ways to raise money right now that, just aren't the traditional paths. So a lot of VCs like myself are sitting on the sidelines while we kind of wait for for deals to become even more investor friendly. And so, you know, if you're going the traditional route, you're going to run into some, you know, roadblocks right now. VCs are sitting on the sidelines, um, you know, institutional LPs are kind of waiting it out. But that doesn't mean that you can't raise money right now. Just lean into what what and who is really interested in you, right? Like there, there are individuals who can invest. There are groups that might be, you know, users or fans of what you're doing. So really lean into your specific demographic. And I think you'll, you'll find some, some ways to get money in the door um, more easily, you know, with less friction than if you try to go, you know, the traditional route right now. And are there any like investments that has you kind of pretty excited this year? Yeah, certainly. Uh, The most recent one we made is in a company called Doe. That's D-E-U-X. The founder, Sabina, is from Texas. Uh, She went to the University of Texas, grew up in the DFW area, but she has created this good-for-you snack brand for Gen Z. They started out as kind of edible cookie dough um, right around the time the pandemic started, actually. So she grew up... um, her, her father owned a, a gas station, a convenience store in the DFW area, and she grew up eating the kind of traditional junk food uh, from the convenience <laughs> store. And then long story short, she began her career at, at PepsiCo, Frito-Lay, and then went into venture herself. But at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, she was on this journey of getting healthier, and we were all taking all these immunity supplements, right? 
Well, so she had this idea, well, what if we not only took bad stuff out of our snacks, but added good stuff back in? So she was adding, you know, zinc and elderberry and all these immunity things at the time um, to her, um, to the product. And she made this really delicious, you know, cookie dough like product that you can eat with a spoon or you could bake it. Um, And she actually was contacted by Shark Tank to go on the show. And so she started the company in 2020. She was on Shark Tank in 2021. And uh, she ended up not getting a deal, but she got a quote from Robert, one of the sharks. And he said, in 13 years of the show, you are the most impressive entrepreneur to stand on this stage. So, of course, she ran with that quote and it's all over her pitch deck and everything. (laughs) What I love about Sabina, the founder, and and what she's doing at Doe is she is a genius marketer. Her products are outstanding, but she also really knows how to speak to her demographic, and that's Gen Z particularly women. And so, you know, if you follow her on social media or sign up for her newsletters, it's just a masterclass in how to to market products. So she is on a super high growth trajectory and we're just really honored and and privileged to be a part of that. We just led their seed round, which closed a few months ago. And, you know, she's taken a similar approach to, to me in fundraising in that she has a lot of women and a lot of influencers who invested. So, um, yeah, she also did not go the traditional route. We actually just last week had a dinner in LA to celebrate the closing of the round. And the table was filled with a bunch of wonderful women who are investors, who are influencers, and who are all supporting Sabina in her um, uh, in her vision to become the kind of good for you Gen Z snack brand. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. So I guess what's next for Curia Capital? Well, fun too is certainly on the way, but you know, right now uh, we Two are holding on to our remaining capital for Fund One and and waiting for those really outstanding deals um, to 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 motivate us to invest. But in the meantime, we're spending a lot of time supporting our portfolio companies. As you can imagine, I mean they're facing challenges right now. Um, so those that um, maybe weren't profitable yet, trying to help get them to profitability. A lot of them are are still expanding and growing. Uh, we've got one uh, founder who is Charleston based, but she's actually in town uh, today. She runs a company called Red. Clay hot sauce, and they are here um, tonight. We're hosting an event um, uh, for the the culinary scene in Houston. Uh, bring a lot of those uh, folks together to try her products and maybe get them into their restaurants. So, yeah, a lot of time supporting our portfolio companies because when we invest, we want it to be more than just a check. We want it to be a partnership, and we try to help in whatever ways are applicable, whether that's marketing, networking, uh, connecting to other investors, other customers, and so on and so forth. It really is like a marriage between us and the company. So we're happy to have her in town and, and we'll continue to um, you know, support our, our companies in whatever ways they need, especially in this economic environment. Well, I appreciate your time, Carrie. Well, thank, thank you, you so Jonathan. much. It's been a great well, chat. Thank you to HBJ for all the support of what we're doing. It really means the world. It's a a huge way that people learn about us. So we really thank you for the support and thank you for all the work you do on this podcast. Of course. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Texas and by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas and independent financial. Banking for business, banking for life. Learn more at ifinancial.com.